It's good to be brief, even uh, if you can say something succinctly, uh, you should. I love the story of a judge presiding over a trial where a prisoner had been convicted of a crime and was asked if he had any comments to make before the judge sentenced him. And the criminal launched into a long speech about how he felt he'd been wronged, how he didn't deserve to go to prison, how the trial had been a sham, and so on. And finally, he wound up in a rhetorical flourish. And so, as God is my judge, my Lord, I am not guilty. The judge was unimpressed. And he replied tersely, He's not, I am, you are six months. It's a nice story which makes the judge into quite a humorous figure. And it's just possible to see judges in that way. I think the Whigs help. But I wonder what other words come to mind when we hear the word judge. And what about the words that come from it? How do they make us feel? What about the verb to judge? Or judgment? Or judgmental? I suspect we don't smile when we hear those words. I'd be surprised if they didn't cause a little bit of a negative reaction in all of us. Particularly if we think of ourselves being judged. That doesn't sound good at all. And in fact, in our society, judgment or judging others is something that is really frowned upon. In our self-defined tolerant society, we're told it's not right to make judgments on other people and on their choices. They are free to choose. We must not judge them. The American R&B singer Chris Brown released a song a couple of years ago called Don't Judge Me. It was a song to his partner asking her not to take in account all that he'd done in the past. It, it could be an anthem for our modern world where judging others is seen as always a bad thing. Less judging, more tolerance. That's surely the order of the day. If we're honest, that background that I think is there is a pretty challenging one against which to discuss today's passage that we're looking at and today's sentence from the creed, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. In case you're visiting this morning, let me just tell you why we're looking at this. We're working our way, sentence by sentence, through the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is a, a summary of what Christians believe. And it goes back 1,800 years or so, almost to the time of Jesus. And we've been going through it line by line. We started off looking at God, the Father, who made the world. Then we looked at Jesus, what he did in the past, how he came as a baby, how he uh, died on a cross, how he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. We then look at what Jesus is now, where he's seated in glory. But today we're looking at what Jesus is going to do. We're going to look at that statement, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. And if we're honest, that's something we might feel quite uncomfortable about. It, it's not something we traditionally associate with Jesus. Uh, Jesus, the moral teacher, absolutely not a problem. Jesus, the miracle worker, very possibly. Jesus, who died and rose again, we might believe that happened. But Jesus, the judge, is that something we really need to look at today? Is that not something really old-fashioned? It's good to ask that question, but in truth we can't avoid looking at Jesus the judge. Because the Apostles' Creed wasn't written by people trying to make stuff up. They were trying to express what was there in the Bible. 
And the truth is that Jesus spoke very clearly about how he would one day come back to judge the world. Our passage from John's Gospel is just one of many examples of that. And the rest of the writers of the New Testament pick up on this fact. And so the whole of the New Testament looks forward to a time when Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. So we can't avoid looking at this truth that Jesus will come again. But I'm going to suggest this morning, we don't want to avoid looking at this. I'm going to suggest that actually, at the end of this story of Jesus coming again, is really good news. In fact, we're going to see how Jesus coming again to judge the living and the dead is actually the best news ever. It's the good news at the heart of the Christian faith itself. If you've come here this morning and you're thinking, I'm really not sure what Christian faith is all about, we're going to discover that together afresh this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to go on a journey this morning, okay? I'm going to uh, help us explore three aspects of Jesus the judge, okay? How he is the necessary judge, the just judge, and the saving judge. There are going to be some sobering messages on the way, but the end in news, don't forget, is good news. And at the, end of, I'm, at the end of the talk, I'm going to give four ways in which I think that changes our lives today. Very practical ways that we can say to ourselves. Okay? Uh, have your Bibles open if you can. They're in the, there's some Bibles in the seats just in front of you. It's John chapter 5. It's page 1069. There's a yellow batting order in your new sheet that shows where we're going. It gives you the chance to write notes or anything memorable, I might say, or a question you might have. John chapter 5, verses 24 to 30. Three things about Jesus the judge. First of all, I want to say that Jesus is the necessary judge. Because the first thing I want to notice about these words of Jesus in John's Gospel, if you like, is something that isn't there. (laughs) Jesus talks again and again in this passage about how he will judge the world, But nowhere is there a justification about why that judgment is necessary. Jesus doesn't say, I have to judge people because. He operates from the basis that judgment is a given. It's actually the starting point of the whole Bible that judgment is not an option, but is necessary. And why is that? Well, I think it starts all the way back in creation, with God who made each one of us. Because the Bible says that Because each one of us is created by God, as God's created beings, we are accountable to the one who made us. We are answerable to our creator. I think we get that on a human level. We understand as parents that children are accountable. They're answerable to us. Uh, Sort of both Isabel um, and Anna will grow up being answerable to their parents. That's the way it works. Or in a work context, we understand the way in which an employee is answerable to a boss. But actually, that's the way the world works. But I want to see this sense of wider accountability is actually necessary. We need to be accountable to someone bigger than all of us. When things go wrong and when people do evil, I think we long to see them accountable. Let me give you a trivial example, and then a a slightly more serious one. Pretty much every day I cycle past co-op, okay? Uh, And it's not unusual for me to see someone apparently fighting fit 
getting out of a car parked in the disabled bay just at the front, right by the front door. Uh, uh, No blue badge on display uh, and uh, no obvious uh, hindrance in mobility. If I'm honest, um, with my mother-in-law who who is disabled, I, I, I really want that person to be held accountable for what they're doing. Perhaps a trivial example. But what about more serious examples? What about the news this past week? The stories of the atrocities in northern Iraq have been almost too awful to bear. The fact that people can put videos of murder on the internet. I mean, you just watch that and you're thinking, Lord, these people need to be held accountable for their actions. Or the men who've stolen and kidnapped those girls in northern Nigeria. Don't our hearts long, not only for their return, but for the people who did it, to be answerable for what they've done. You see, we need a final judgment from the God who made us. We need to know that everyone, however powerful they are, however significant their armory, however wealthy they may be, that they are answerable to God. The Croatian writer Miroslav Volf, writing out of his experience of the Balkan Wars in the 1990s, says that knowing that you have a divine judge stops violence getting out of hand. He says, and I quote, Violence flourishes in the belief that God refuses to take the sword. If you have been wronged, you will be sucked into retaliation unless you realise there is a judge. If we dismiss the idea of Jesus as a necessary judge, carrying out God's judgment of the world, it is probably because we've never been wronged. But if we have been wronged, I think we'll know that accountability is necessary. There will be a final judgment, a day of reckoning, when Jesus will come again and those living and those dead will stand before him and have to give an account for their lives and their deeds. Jesus is a necessary judge. But secondly, I want to see Jesus as a just judge. We've seen the reality of a final judgment. Jesus assumes that. But that forces us to ask another question. How will Jesus see us and others when we appear before him? Let me give you one view which I suspect many of us might be familiar with. And it goes like this. Jesus will judge bad people, but that's not going to include us. So so violent dictators and paedophiles, they'll be judged, but not us. Uh, perhaps also murderers and criminals, but, but not us. Or, or perhaps you would have, a, have other people on your judgment list. Uh, tax avoiders. Bankers. Politicians. People who park in disabled bays. Your boss. Your parents. They will all be found wanting. You're sure of that. But you're going to be okay. Unfortunately, that's not how Jesus describes it. In verse 30, he says, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. You see, Jesus' judgment is just because it is based not on prejudice, but on information. That's what the phrase, what I hear, means. What information does Jesus have about us? Well, see, Jesus does not just look at my public actions. He looks at my private deeds. And above all, he looks at my heart. 
He sees what I'm like on the inside. You see, there's a big hoo-ha at the moment about what Google knows about us. You know, Google, think about it, knows pretty much everything. It knows our contacts, my emails, my web history, my locations through my smartphone. Uh, you can actually ask to become a non-person now on Google search pages, but it still knows a lot about you. But what Google knows is nothing compared to what Jesus knows about you. When we stand before Jesus as judge, he will not be basing his judgment on hearsay or anecdote. He will see my heart and yours. And when he does, he'll see that however respectable my life, however clean my police record, I have not lived up to his standards. I have lied. I have not forgiven. I have been unmerciful. I have gone my way instead of God's. I have trusted in my own abilities instead of God's strength. When Jesus sees at my heart, he'll see a heart out of which can flow some good things, but also pride and anger and lust and conceit. I don't really want to face up to that. I I like the story of the defendant in the dock who was asked by the clerk of the court, how do you plead, guilty or not guilty? And he replied, not very guilty. (laughs) But that won't do. Because Jesus' judgment is just. And therefore I need to recognise the guilty people are not those over there. They're standing in my shoes. They're here too. Jesus is the just judge, but that means that you and I are in the dock. Jesus, the necessary judge. Jesus, the just judge. But the good news is with my third point, which is Jesus, the saving judge. I suspect we're all pretty uncomfortable just now. I'm pretty uncomfortable writing it. I'm pretty uncomfortable speaking to you. We've seen that Jesus' judgment is necessary. We have to live in a world with a judgment. But because Jesus is a just judge, it means you and I are in the dock. But the good news is that the story does not end there. Jesus did not come into the world so that judgment would be the last word. Let me read you the words of Jesus from a few chapters earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 17, where he says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Not to condemn, but to save. How did this happen? Well, let me use the image again of a courtroom. Just imagine with me a courtroom scene, yeah? Imagine the scene with the defendant in the dock and the judge up on the bench. The guilty verdict has been reached and the sentence given out. But at that moment, the judge does something extraordinary. He comes down from the bench into the pit of the courtroom and he walks across the floor and opens the gate of the dock and stands in it and says to the defendant, I'm going to take the punishment on your behalf. I will serve the sentence instead of you. That is a picture, just a picture, of what Jesus did. Because while Jesus has all the authority to judge the world, the living and the dead, Jesus did not stay on the judge's bench. He left the glory of heaven and entered our world. 
And after years of showing what God was like, he voluntarily went to Jerusalem and suffered a punishment he did not deserve. He was nailed to a cross by the Romans for a punishment that he did not merit. But it was a punishment that each one of us deserves. We deserve the punishment for all of us have fallen short of God's standards. But Jesus went and took it for us. And at that moment, he became a saving judge. And that explains Jesus' words at the beginning of the passage before us when he says in verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. You see, if we take Jesus at his word and hold on to what he's done for us, then at that final judgment, we will not be condemned because we will have passed from death to life. We will know Jesus as our saving judge. And that's the story behind our words in the Apostles' Creed. Yes, we believe that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. It will be a necessary and a just judgment from which none of us can escape. But the good news is that Jesus is also the saving judge and has taken the punishment on our behalf. But what does that mean for us today? How does that impact your life and mine? I wanted to give you four sentences in application. Sentence number one is don't let others judge you. You see, for all our tolerant worldview, I think we live in a really judgmental society. We find ourselves judged all the time because of what clothes we wear, what car we drive, what house we live in, what job we have. With the rise in social media like Facebook, more people know more about us than ever before, and we are judged more than ever before. The like button on Facebook is just another tool of judgment. Adverts judge us because they want us to buy more stuff. And we're told you're not handsome enough, not rich enough. Not hard-working enough, not beautiful enough. We don't need to carry those judgments with us. Because we've seen this morning there's only one judgment that matters. And that is God's. And his judgments is that although we were very, very broken, we were worth so much that he sent his son to die for us. Do you find yourself really worried about what other people think of you? Concerned for your image or your reputation? Do you feel sometimes written off by them? I just want to say you don't need to. Because Jesus is all the proof you need that God has not written you off and you do not need to let yourself be judged by others. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is don't judge yourself. I know so many people, myself included, who can be really judgmental of ourselves. When we do something wrong or fall short of our own standards, we write ourselves off. 
and we say, God can't love me. He can't really have a place for me. This must all be a very big mistake. We don't need to stay in that place because it's not true. God hasn't written you off. If you want proof, it's there. Jesus on the cross. And that says we are loved. Loved while we were still sinners. Loved while we were still far away from God. Did you find yourself writing yourself off, consumed with negative thoughts about yourself and your worth? That can be for all sorts of reasons. It can be valuable to explore that with a good counsellor. But above all, remember this. Jesus doesn't write you off. He never will. He loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to be your judge, but also your saviour. Yes, you may be guilty, but you are massively, massively loved. Don't judge yourself. Lesson number three. Don't look to judge others. Leave that to God. Let me be clear what I'm saying. I'm not saying we should abandon what the Bible teaches about what a holy life looks like. I'm not saying we should refrain from speaking out when God's ways are not being followed. But it doesn't fall to us to make final judgments on anybody. That's not our job. It's God's. You see, when we judge someone, I think we write them off in our minds. I know because I find myself doing it. Sometimes it's because that person has hurt me and I feel angry with them. Sometimes it's just because they've annoyed me and I feel frustrated. Sometimes it's just because they're different and I find that challenging. And so I stop engaging with them and praying for them. But God hasn't done that. He hasn't written anyone off. He sent his son into the world so that everyone would have the opportunity to move from death to life, from condemnation to forgiveness. My task is not to write others off, but to remember that Jesus can be their saving judge as he can be mine. Don't judge others. Leave that to God. And here's lesson number four. Do look to the saving judge. Do look to the saving judge. Because our main message today has been that Jesus will come one day to judge those alive and those who are dead. And on our own, we will not be able to stand innocently before him because we have all fallen short of his standards. But Jesus is the saving judge who took the punishment on our behalf so we can move from condemnation to forgiveness. And so our task as we wait for Jesus to return is to look to him who is our saving judge. Now you may have been doing that for many years. You may know now that Jesus is your saving judge, that he died for your sins, and that when he comes again, he will be your hope and your salvation. My encouragement to you this morning, if that is you, is to keep looking to Jesus as your saving judge. Look to him when others judge you, and remember it's his view that counts. Look to him when you judge yourself, and remember that for all your flaws, you are deeply loved by God. Look to him instead of putting energy into judging others. But perhaps you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to look to Jesus as your saving judge. Perhaps you're here in church for the first time for many years and 
have heard a message perhaps you've never heard before. Can I encourage you to think about where you stand in relation to Jesus Christ? Because the good news is that he can be your saving judge as he can be mine. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done in the past. It doesn't matter what you're doing today. But you do need to respond because if you look with me at verse 24, Jesus mentions two things. He says, whoever hears my word and believes. Hears my word and believes. We need to not only hear what Jesus has done for us, but we need to believe that that is true. Perhaps you've heard the message but you've never believed the message. Can I give you three things to think about? Three words to pray. If that's true for you this morning, where you've never actually made a response to Jesus as your saving judge, three words we need to say. Word number one is sorry. To say sorry to the God before whom we have fallen short and simply say, sorry Lord, I've fallen short. Word number two is thank you. Thank you that Jesus crossed that courtroom and entered the dock. Thank you that Jesus went to the cross to pay a penalty that wasn't his to pay. And the third word is please. Please, Lord, come into my life and be my saving judge now and when you come again. If you want, you can pray those words today. Because as I said earlier, being a Christian isn't a habit. It's not something we tick on a census form. It's a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And today you have the opportunity to do that by saying sorry, thank you, and please. You see, Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. My prayer is that each one of us here today will be among those who welcome him as our saving judge.